Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read um, up to starting at the beginning up to verse 23 to get this this whole uh, parable that Jesus starts into here. So, so Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It says, The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes gathered unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed some seeds, fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell on into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing not and hearing, sorry, seeing they see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, Many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When any one heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the world, by and by he is offended. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word 
and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful but he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold some sixty some thirty this is kind of a, a long passage to get into and um, you can kind of break it into to four sections or three main sections but there's the first couple of verses are kind of an introduction to the setting that we're in and then we have a parable followed by a discussion about why Jesus has started teaching in parables. And then, finally, we have the explanation that Jesus gives of the parable to his disciples. And so, depending on time, I don't think I'm going to get into too much about the parable itself. But I want to look at the discussion they have regarding why Jesus is, is speaking in parables and what, why there's been a, a change. And if you've noticed, we've been going through the book of Matthew. Um, and up until this point, Jesus hasn't been teaching using parables. We haven't looked at a single parable in all of the chapters leading up to this point. And yet we've been looking at a lot of Jesus teaching and preaching but no parables. His teaching up until this point has been very plain and clear. Um, and we see the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, that whole section is just Jesus preaching just clear, plain truth. But now there's a change. And so... That's where we're, we're going to look at that change this morning. When you get to verse 9 here, Jesus says, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. I'm going to read this next section just to get the discussion that takes place. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. And I'll stop there for now, but what a funny answer is I'm speaking in parables not to make it clear to the people that are listening, but to obscure the truth for the people that are listening. Because it's given to you to understand, but not to them. Well, if Jesus had that attitude all along, if that was his thoughts all along, all of the preaching that we saw leading up to this point doesn't follow that line of thought. But I think what we need to understand is Jesus has given so much opportunity to the people 
he's preached such clear passages. He's presented himself, and we've looked at various points where there's absolute certainty of who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah. He's fulfilled countless prophecies of what the Messiah was going to do, where he was going to come from, who he would be, when he was going to arrive. All of these things Jesus fulfilled perfectly, and he explained it so clearly. He made who he was absolutely clear to the people through his teaching, through his preaching, through all of the miracles and the healings that he had been doing up until that point. And we've looked at some of the details of those as we've come across them in the previous chapters here. And we see back in chapter 11, Jesus starts talking to these people in chapter 11, verse 20. It says, Then began he to abrade the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. And he says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now, Jesus is talking to these places where him and his disciples have been out teaching and preaching, presenting who he is, presenting the message of the gospel, and they re people rejected that message. And Jesus is telling them there that Sodom <laughs> will have a, a less harsh judgment than they will. Because if he had gone to Sodom, those people would have repented. And yet, he's standing here in this Jewish city, and the people refuse to accept who he is. And so it's that scenario that has led to this point that we're at here. And now, as Jesus is before these people, instead of teaching plainly, he's going to start teaching them in parables. They've been given opportunity to respond, to believe, and they haven't yet believed. They're just intrigued by the miracles that he's doing. It's like they're going to watch the show. But they're not there because of who he is. They're not there because they believe and trust in the person of Jesus Christ. But for those people that did believe, the disciples, and as we look at the word disciples, and I've talked about this before, it's not always referring just to the twelve. There's times when that number of disciples has been in the 70s, and 
there's many that would be called disciples. A disciple is just a follower, as opposed to the 12 chosen ones that were called apostles. And so, this may not be just the 12 that have come to him with this question. There may be a larger group. I don't know for sure. But it says the disciples came, and why speakest to them in parables? And he answered, because it's given to you to know the mysteries. Because they believe, they have trusted in who Jesus was. Therefore, they are allowed to learn more of the mysteries of God. And so when he's teaching in the parables, we'll see often, he goes separately, privately with the disciples and explains the parables. He gives some explanation to reveal to them what the truth that was being hidden to the others in the parable. And yet, and we'll see as we go through the rest of the book of Matthew, it's not like Jesus completely gave up on these people. It's not like they have no chance at all to respond from this point forward. He's continuing to preach to them. He's continuing to reveal himself to them. But it's not as plain. It's not as obvious. It's not going to be as easy for them from this point forward to see the truth and to turn. I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And if you want to turn there, I'll just I'll be there in a second. <clears throat> when we got to verse 9, Jesus is just finishing up the parable. And he concludes it with the sentence, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 6. And we know for certain what intention Jesus had with that, because he doesn't even just leave it um, for them to figure out that connection. In, in the following verses, verse 14, um, and 15, he says, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith. And so he quotes the prophecy from Isaiah. But I want to turn back to Isaiah, and we'll just look at this a little bit here. So Isaiah chapter 6. And I'm going to start just in verse 8. There's just a couple of verses here. It says, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, this is the Lord saying to Isaiah, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and be converted, and be healed. Isn't that a terrifying sentence? If, we, if you look at that, and you apply that to you or, or your family members, 
It says, go and tell this people. Hear ye indeed and see. But it's like we're going to show you the truth. And you, you look at Jesus, and Jesus is claiming in Matthew 13 that he is the fulfillment of this passage. This passage is prophetic of him in his day. That he's shown them everything they need to know and believe in who he is. But they're not seeing it. And so he's going to he's going to change. He's going to make it so that he's telling them the truth. He's explaining details of the glory of God through parables. And so now that they've rejected the clear truth, he's going to be explaining it in a way where they see it, they hear it, but they can't understand what he's saying. But the terrifying part of that, it says, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. It's like God's preventing them from understanding. God's preventing them from hearing and seeing and being converted. God's preventing them from repenting and believing at that point. And that's a terrifying thought. I remember hearing uh, a sermon. I can't think of who it was now um, that preached the sermon, but he preached a sermon talking about whether it's too late to believe, whether you've put off God for so long that he's going to stop working on you. And it seems like that's what's happened in this case, where these people had full opportunity with Christ presented right in front of them. And now when they rejected that, he's still going to be there. He's still going to teach, but now they're not going to be able to see the truth. They're not going to be able to understand the truth that's being preached to them because it's going to be veiled in these parables. And it's so that they don't understand. It's so that they don't see and so that they don't get converted. To think that we can reject God for so long to get to a point where he will no longer give us opportunity or a clear opportunity at least to respond to the gospel to me is a terrifying thought but it appears from what this is saying to be what can happen. I think there's three possible applications to this prophetic um, passage in Isaiah 6. He was being sent to preach to the people of his own day and giving this message to them. The people in Isaiah's time had the problem of not believing, not trusting in God. 
And so there was an application immediately in their day that this applied to them. And God was going to start to blind their eyes. And this is the time leading up just prior to Israel going into captivity. And that is what happened. And that was the result of it. And then, of course, the prophetic fulfillment of it was in Jesus' time, and he made that absolutely clear in this discussion with the disciples that the prophetic application was in his day, talking about him and the people of his time and how they were going to reject him and how he was now going to turn to these parables and veil the message before the people so that they wouldn't understand it. But I think there's another application for us today as well that we need to be aware of and need to be concerned about. That that same issue can be a pro- an issue for us today. And look at different things and... Um, We've been, I've been going on YouTube and listening to a variety of different preachers lately, and some of them are people whose names I recognize, and, and some of them are just the, the random recommendations that YouTube gives, and I'll listen to somebody, and if I like what they say, and I sometimes will listen to more of, of their material, but... It's like we're, we're um, <laughs> you got to pick and choose with YouTube as to who you're going to listen to and how much uh, credence you give to what they're saying. I know we were trying to do some butchering of our pigs this fall, and as even though I've done it many times, I've never been that great at the butchering process and I always need instruction and so this time we looked up YouTube videos of how to do the butchering of the pigs but what I found is there's a an abundance of people who doing their first time pull out the video camera and they post their first time doing this on YouTube and I can assure you that those are not the people that you want to be learning from to know how to accomplish whatever it is you're trying to learn how to do. And so you need to be careful when you're going on things like YouTube to learn how to do something. You can learn how to do almost anything that you want to be able to do. But you have to be careful that the person that you're learning from actually knows what they're doing. You want somebody who is experienced, who has studied whatever it is that you're trying to learn. And so, same applies when it comes to scriptural things. And one of the things that I see quite a bit now, and this is because of the world around us and what's going on, and I see questions regarding end times coming up and different preachers are answering these questions and different preachers are answering completely 
opposite ways. And it's difficult for somebody who doesn't know how do you pick who to listen to? How do you choose who to believe when they're teaching? And it's, it's very hard. And I, it's, it's funny, one of the questions that has come up multiple times that I've seen different guys having to, to answer is this question, is the vaccine the mark of the beast? And the reason they're asking that is because they've heard some preacher say that it might be. And so I, I've listened to a couple of those answers. And you know how you best way to pick who to believe? It's the person that turns to scripture the most. <laughs> if their answer comes primarily from the Bible, chances are they're giving you a more accurate answer than somebody who is giving you some theoretical, philosophical answer to these questions. I saw one answer. He's just going to dismiss the whole issue because he doesn't believe the book of Revelation is a prophetic book. He thinks the whole thing took place in the past. That it's an allegory more than it is literal descriptions of things that are yet to come. And sadly, a large portion of Christianity is leaning towards that kind of answer today. But uh, the best answer I saw was a guy that actually went to the book of Revelation and he went through and said, you know, there's all these events that need to take place prior to the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast actually comes at the midpoint of the tribulation. Are we at the midpoint of the tribulation right now? He says, well, how do you know if you are or not? Well, there's certain things that have to happen. And he went through a bunch of these things. And if there's any vagueness in there, there's no vagueness in the fact that a third of the population of the world has to be destroyed at one point. And another quarter of the population of the world has to be destroyed at another point. Have those things happened? Clearly not. And those are just two, two big events. But there's many, many other things that must take place prior to the mark of the beast. And so can the current vaccine be the mark of the beast? Clearly not. Could it be preparing society to accept something like the mark of the beast? Absolutely. But is it itself? No, it can't be because there's so many other things in the prophecies regarding that that it, it can't be at this point. And so we just need to be careful of the way that we look at Scripture. And it's kind of my point is that we can do this with so many different things and I'm seeing it because I'm looking at so much, so many different preachers, I see such opposing points of view but we have to look at who actually believes what the Bible is actually saying who's turning to scripture to actually give their answer 
as opposed to giving some philosophical reason as to why they don't believe what the Bible is actually says. And so we need to just be very, very careful in the way we look at those things. But I see that these people who dismiss the book of Revelation as some historic thing and has nothing to do with today and with the future, with the coming fulfillment of the second return of Christ, I think those people fall into this category of the truth is right in front of them, and yet their eyes are blinded to the truth. They can hear what's going to come. Explanations of things that we see going on in the world, and they can't see the connection to Scripture. Because God has blinded their eyes to it because they've rejected his word and no longer believe that it means what it says. And so we need to be very careful in the way that we look at scripture, the way that we evaluate the events in our world when we compare those to scripture. If you're in Matthew 13 again, verse 12 says, For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. That is the exact same um, statement that we see at the end of a parable in, in Matthew chapter 25. There's a parable of the talents. In verse 14 of Matthew 25, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. And rather than reading the whole thing, the one with one just buries it in the ground so that he has that one talent when the, his Lord returns. The other one's invested theirs and doubled what they had been given. And when the Lord comes back, in verse 25, so he's rewarded the two that produced something, and the third one answers and said, I was afraid, and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not, and gathered where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury. I should have at least got some interest if you put my money in the bank. And verse 28 says, Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. 
For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast you the unprofitable servant into odor darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So why teach in parables? Well, we looked at the first reason is the explanation that we see in the prophecy in Isaiah, but I think there's two other partial explanations of why Jesus is teaching in these parables. The one is judgment. And that kind of goes with their less they believe, right? So it's so that they, partly so that they can't turn. But it's their unwillingness to respond. Now he's in judgment, making it that much harder for them to respond. The truth is now right in front of their faces, and yet in a way that they can't comprehend it. But the other, the opposing reason may be because of mercy. Because these verses, verse 29, for everyone that hath shall be given, and he that shall have abundance, but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into odor darkness. That answer at the end to that unprofitable servant is the same that he described back in Matthew 13. And remember we turned to chapter 11 where those cities that Jesus had preached to were going to receive a harsher judgment because of their unbelief than cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. There is a harsher judgment the more they know. And so in God's mercy, knowing that these people are not going to receive Christ, he veils the truth to them and makes it harder for them to understand so that there is less judgment against them in the time of judgment because there is they have less knowledge therefore they have less responsibility I hope that makes sense but I I remember I explained that um, I don't remember what passage we were looking at at the time maybe at those cities and we just looked at different passages where we see that God judges us, that great white throne judgment in the end is based on the knowledge that we have. It's based on what we've done with the truth that was given to us. And if we've rejected God, the more truth we had, the harsher that judgment will be. And so in God's mercy... Perhaps he veiled some truth to these people so that that judgment 
at the end would be less harsh against them because had he continued in his ministry teaching them clearly and they continued to reject him throughout that whole ministry, how harsh of a judgment would they deserve? Seeing all the truth that Christ would give throughout his ministry. In Matthew 13, the beginning of the chapter, if you remember what's been going on in, in chapter 12, it sounds like a fairly busy day to start with, with the healing and all the discussions that have been taking place between Jesus and the the Pharisees and all these people. But chapter 13 starts off saying, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes come and gathered around him. It's like he's going from one thing to the next. And his people, no matter where he goes, a crowd gathers, and it's just continuous. The book of John, chapter 21, very last verse, says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Jesus was busy during this three years of his ministry. He was constantly preaching, teaching, healing, working with people, giving people opportunity to turn to him, to know who he was. What an explanation of how much Jesus did during that time. How harsh of a judgment would those people receive having gone through all of that and yet still reject Christ? We need to be careful of how much truth gets fed to us and we ignore it. How many times are we presented with something that teaches us to change the way we live? It teaches us that we need to turn to Christ. How many people sit in church services week after week and have never yet actually trusted Christ as their Savior. How important is that? How much truth is going to be presented to a person and they still reject it? How fearful that would be to face God, having known what the Bible teaches and yet rejected what it taught. Anyway, let's pray. Lord, I am thankful for your answer to the disciples that 
it was given unto them to know these details that for those who did believe that did trust in you that you offered to reveal to them further truth to let them understand who you are and what you want from us so help us lord to be trusting of you help us to not reject the truth and have this prophecy be applicable to us that we would be blinded to not know the truth lord we just thank you for your word and we thank you for this time this morning lord we pray this in christ's name amen